Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's one of the interviews from the stage of the 2016 Code Conference. If you like it, please leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. Thanks for coming back promptly for lunch. We're going to reward you with a really interesting, unique interview. You have not seen something like this. Uh, we're bringing on Jack Dorsey, who, as you know, has two jobs, running Square and Twitter. Uh, and DeRay McKesson, who also has a bunch on his plate. We'll bring both these guys on at the same time. Come on out, guys. Come on. Sir, how are you? Hey, Jack. You guys grab these seats. You going handheld? No lab on the Stay Woke shirt? I'm going handheld. You want to explain what Stay Woke is? Maybe later. Later, we'll move into it. Um, like I said, people here know who you are. Some people may not know who DeRay is. So DeRay, in your own words, what's your day job? So I'm a civil rights activist. I was one of the Ferguson protesters. I met Jack uh, in St. Louis. I saw Jack for the first time on August 19th, 2014. You know, Mike was killed on August 9th. So I, like many Mike people, Brown and Mike Ferguson. Brown and Ferguson. So I, like many people, have continued this fight around racial justice and equity, uh, and the tech platforms have been really key to our success. And your name is commonly associated with Black Lives Matter, sort of like, uh, 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 what was the Wall Street? What was the Wall Street? Like thing? Occupy. Like Occupy Wall Street. There aren't formal leaders, right? So what's, what's your role within Black Lives Matter? Is yeah, there so an easy many, way to describe that? Yeah, there are many people leading all across the country, and I'm just one of them. So we have a platform called Campaign Zero that's a concrete platform to end police violence. We met with Obama, Valerie Jarrett, Loretta Lynch, Bernie, and Hillary, pushing people to think about these solutions differently. And I've also been working with people in tech, like Jack, to think about how we use these platforms to really focus on communities of color and communities that have been traditionally marginalized who are now having a chance to speak in ways that they have not been able to before. So your full-time job is activist. You've got a bunch of different things you're interested in. Yeah. Jack, you have two full-time jobs. We asked you to come on. You said, great, I'll come on. I wanted DeRay and, and actually someone else to come on as well, Netta. Um, why did you want to bring these folks on stage with you? What, what discussion do you want to have here? I mean, I, I think this is, um, this is a conversation of this country, but also globally. I think it's also been consistent with what Twitter has been and, and the conversations that we've carried for, for 10 years. Um, one of the reasons that, uh, that I went to Ferguson in the first place is, number one... You went to Ferguson <coughs> during the, the first set of protests? Yes, uh, during the first set of protests, um, 10 days after Michael Brown was shot. Um, and I went for, uh, for a few reasons. One, um, it's my home. I'm from St. Louis, and this felt, uh, this felt important. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to witness what was happening and I wanted to understand because, you know, over the, over the past nine years, we saw so many acts of activism and revolution and questioning carried out through Twitter and the conversation carried out through Twitter, but it was always somewhere around the world. It was never this close to, to home and <clears throat> I just felt I had to be there. I had to bear witness to what was happening. I flew to St. Louis um, on a weekday, and I remember landing. My dad met me in his, his little mini, and we went straight to the, uh, the quick trip. Um, and we joined, uh, we, we stood around and we tried to understand. We started talking with people. We stayed until about 9 p.m., and then we came back the next day, and 
we picked up trash in the morning. My, my whole family came with me that time. And then we stayed until, uh, until around midnight. That was the first day that the governor actually instituted the curfew. And you didn't know DeRay at this point? <clears throat> sort of... I did not. I don't know if we met that first day or the second day. Um, yeah, I don't know. DeRay, this was sort of your first... You went down at the same time, and that was sort of your first sort of large... Your, First time you became known as an activist, right, publicly? Yeah, yeah, I was the senior director of human capital for Minneapolis Public Schools. And you had a day job. Yep, had a day job. And I saw it on Twitter, I saw what was happening, and I saw on TV that there was real dissonance, right? What I was seeing on Twitter was not what I was seeing on TV. And I was like, I'm gonna go. So I got in my car, drove nine hours, ended up in St. Louis, uh, and that was the beginning for me. And I got tear gas on the second night I was in St. Louis, and I was like, this is wild. You know, people look back, they think that we marched because marching was like a, I don't know, we were marching in solidarity with the civil rights movement. In those early days, it was illegal to stand still in St. Louis. And you know, if it were not for platforms like Twitter, Missouri would have convinced you that we didn't exist. You know, when I think about what protest is at its root, it's this idea of telling the truth in public. There was a lot of discussion when Ferguson first erupted that this was something that you were seeing on Twitter, really probably not on Facebook and not on TV at all for a while. It was all happening sort of on Twitter. So did you guys connect that first when you were both first in Ferguson? Yeah, so I started talking with a bunch of people. The first person I, I met that um, had uh, a leadership role to, to play in some of the protests was uh, Alderman Antonio French. And uh, he, was, he was very active on Twitter. He was sharing a lot of what was happening. He was vining uh, a bunch as well. So we could actually see what was happening on the ground. Um, sought him out that second day I was there and had a conversation. He introduced me to a number of other people on the ground. Um, and uh, little by little, I learned more about what was happening, why this was important, why it mattered. Uh, and saw a side of St. Louis that you kind of, I kind of felt when I was growing up, but never really acknowledged and never really realized in its full, um, its full manifestation. Um, and I'm from the city, and my parents always really stood in the city. Ferguson is a, is a small suburb of St. Louis, but one of the reasons I think it was important for me to be there personally was this was not just an issue in Ferguson, this was the greater St. Louis area, and specifically uh, in the city as well. And there wasn't a lot of light being cast um, on what was happening in the city, but during the week and a half that I was there, um, there was another shooting um, in the city of St. Louis yep. um, of a young man who uh, in protest, I believe, stole two things from a convenience store and uh, in the middle of the day uh, was shot 11 times. But it's a bunch of questions. But you guys connected while you were there. You, you reached we connected out while we were in Ferguson. Um, and, DM? Uh, I'm not sure how they, we... I think one of us DM'd and his family always does like breakfast on Christmas morning, right? It's Christmas morning. Yeah. Um, and the police killed somebody like two days before Christmas. So I was back in St. Louis and we like had breakfast with his family at like this coffee shop. So, so Jack, we're, we're gonna talk politics sort of in and out of this conversation. A lot of people in this room, a lot of people who run companies, whether they're technology companies or any others, want to avoid um, any kind of political statement, any kind of political alignment. Um, what was the reaction? You were chairman of Twitter when you went out there. You were CEO of Square when you went out there. What was the, the input, if any, from the people you work with, your investors, your board, when you said, I'm going to Ferguson, I'm gonna go march? Um, you know, we were, I think it was a little bit of a tough time at Square at the time, and there's 
never a good time for these things, but you have to make time for what matters and what's most meaningful. And while there was some initial negative reaction in, in Square. Um, because? Because, you know, I was, I was spending time away from the company. Um, and I was going back home and participating in this. And uh, immediately, I think the first reaction was, was why. And then um, I sent a very long email to the company about, about why. Um, and uh, the company understood the next day. And I think there was, you know, a, an acknowledgement and there was also a, a, a sense of um, this is important and we're proud of this. Um, but it takes, it takes time and it takes explaining and it takes just answering that question why. And was there pushback from protesters on the ground saying, what's the Twitter guy dropping in? What's, what's, this, what's this guy parachuting in here? You know, honestly, I think nobody knew who he was, so it was fine. <laughs> didn't, you, didn't you have the beard and the t-shirt? I had the beard and the t-shirt. He had like this white tee on and this like red hat. And I remember I was like, I think that's a Twitter guy. I like took a picture and I tweeted, I think that's a guy. And then he like followed me on Twitter and that's, and I was like, oh my God, that really, that was a Twitter guy. But yeah, I think he, uh, people didn't know who he was. And you know, we got, so one of the challenges about Vine in the early days was that nobody, like Vine was six seconds. So like, you know, we used it, but we wanted to show people more than six seconds. So we were really happy when Periscope came out. Um, and I remember we talked before Twitter actually bought Periscope, um, and we were some of the first testers of it, which was cool. And I remember Periscope back in the day when there was like 20 people who had it, you know, when we were like sending them emails in the middle of the night being like, this doesn't work. I remember uh, we Periscoped one of the first protests in the, in the airport, uh, and it was, it was cool to have those conversations on the front end about like what we needed that Twitter wasn't providing. So let's, let's talk about your relationship. You guys are, are you friends? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. friends. <laughs> but you're an early adopter. You get to see Peri you said you got to see Periscope. You were one of the first 20 users of it. You're a product tester as well. Uh, informally, I don't know if Twitter has like a. I'm yeah, not like formally. A, you test every single thing yeah, that comes you know, out. I just from every company. You know, I love Twitter. You love Twitter. You're yeah. a power user slash nerd slash geek slash addict. Yeah, yeah. Tweeting. Dozens I do think of Twitter needs today. to. I, I, you know, I tell Jack. I joke that Twitter should have a game. I think there should be like an in-app game. I don't think he agrees with me, but I think that'd be cool. Um, you know, uh, diversity in tech is a real problem. And it's been, I think about conferences like this that don't reflect the racial makeup of the country. And when we think about what diversity looks like, or what it means is a recognition and value of, of differences in identity um, and ideas. And I think Twitter like has led in some of that, but has a long way to go, especially for communities of color. But, but when you're talking to Jack, is it, I want you to increase diversity at Twitter or I want you to fix this bug or I want you to make it easier for me to do, to not have a DM? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all fail. of them in the same it's email and DM. Yeah. And, and you take, and you respond to the notes? Of and, course, yeah, yeah. And we, we send to the company, Dre's come into the company multiple times and, and uh, we had uh, a conversation, the two of us, yeah. uh, in front of a collection of folks. And also, he's actually sat down one-on-one -on -one with a bunch of our leadership, um, from product leadership to our GC, Vidya, uh, to uh, Adam Bain, our COO. And does Dre get to kill something if he doesn't like it? Is he, you don't I bring wish. that out? I don't. Let me tell you. I think the, the uh, I want the star to come back. The heart, I think, was, I mean, I get why they did the heart. But so like, let's hash this out now. It used to be a star, know. now it's a heart. Dre doesn't <laughs> so like no, it. So no, I don't have any, you know. Jack, you're up. <laughs> why the heart, Jack? We, we've made that move. We've made that move. Uh, we've made that move. Yeah, so. So it's, to be clear, like, right, so you, you, social justice is important to you. Diversity is important to you. But you also really care about hearts and stars on Twitter. You're, you're one of those yeah. people. I care about Who cares about any small tweak Twitter, Twitter makes to its product. Yeah, yeah. 
Jack, I'd love to know what, um, I'll put you on the spot. Obviously, you're failing as yeah, a yeah. interviewer. He's just going to take it. I want to know, though. I want to know what, uh, talk to me. People think that Twitter is not as safe as it could be, that the platform, like, isn't a platform that is safe for women, safe for uh, minorities of any status. Uh, like, what, what are you guys doing Wait, to make Before we safe? get there, DeRay, how many people have you blocked? Uh, 19,000. How do you block 19,000 people on One Twitter? at a time. One at a time. You're spending your time. Block, block. And why did you Slow. do it? Yeah, you know, I get death threats. So, like, I was, uh, I did the screening of the Panthers documentary in Baltimore, and somebody tweeted and they were going to shoot me. And people came, the police came, they shut down the movie theater at one o'clock in the afternoon. Like, so those things are real and they happen, and uh, that's not fun to experience. Um, so, there are a lot of people out there who are not particularly, you know, kind that are on the platform. But I think about Twitter as, like, would it, Twitter to me is like the friend that's always awake, which is the joyful part of it, but it's also, like somebody standing on the corner having a conversation and you can't control who stands on corner. And it's someone yelling at you. Yes, sometimes, not always. I mean, we've that's, seen- That's the, the 19,000 people you blocked, right? The they weren't having a conversation people. with you, they were yelling 300,000 people who follow me and I've not blocked them. So there's balance there, but I, but I do think people feel like the platform is not as safe as it could be. Um, and, I, and I don't know if Twitter's done a great job of giving that message out publicly. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we agree, and I agree, and one of the, one of the five priorities we set forth for this year uh, is, is around safety, and, and we think we need to do a much better job at making sure that we provide better controls, first and foremost, um, so that people can just really have a better understanding and control of their own experience. So like a filter? People, people want well, a filter. No, so, that's, so that's reporting, that's muting. Okay. Um, so muting individual accounts or hashtags, keywords um, has been a big ask as well. Um, I think in the past, uh, we have talked about the importance of safety. I don't know if we've always applied engineering resources to it. So that is, has changed. Given that it's a user-generated platform, you can be anonymous on it. Are you always going to be sort of running up against a wall that you really can't move beyond a certain point? People are always going to be able to do, engage in bad behavior, do things that are anonymous, say hurtful things, because fundamentally anyone can use Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Twitter is a reflection of the world. And um, it definitely makes it easy to say anything. And sometimes those things aren't positive. Um, and maybe in some cases it makes it way too easy. But I think the most important thing is we have an awareness of what people are saying and uh, what they're thinking and their sentiment. And if we have that awareness, we can have a conversation. And more of that light and more of that conversation around that negativity, I believe, will fundamentally change into a positive momentum. And I think those conversations must be had, and Twitter is a venue for that. Um, it is a, you know, I, I just don't think we've done a good job in the past of providing the right controls, so when people want to turn that up and turn that down, and I think those controls need to be intuitive, they need to be simple, and they need to be straightforward. And, you know, as we found and talked about a lot in the product, the product can be rather confusing. And not confusing, and I don't know how to use it, but when I use it, it does something unexpected. It does something I wasn't expecting it to do, and that's really inhibiting a lot of our usage and inhibiting a lot of the things where we believe Twitter can be really strong and can be used uh, in a more powerful way. So, DeRay, you love Twitter. You're the kind of person who complains when they change from hearts to stars. Jack says, I'm not the only person who was Jack says it's too confusing to lots of people and it should make it easier to use. A lot of the tension seems to be between, especially in this version of Jack and this version of Twitter, is we've got to broaden Twitter's reach. We've got to make it more accessible. It seems like you like it exactly the way it is. Um, is there, are there things you don't want Jack to do to make it easier to use? 
Yeah, it's not that I like it necessarily. The, I mean, I do like it the way it is, and I, but I, I think that Twitter should you know, expand and innovate like other companies. I don't want to wake up one day and have Twitter become a different version of Facebook or another company, right? Um, and that worries me. I think that worries a lot of people. I don't know if the race for users is like the right race for Twitter. Uh, there's no platform that has a real, a real world, real time impact the way it does. Um, and you don't need 500 million more users for that to be real. Like I think that it's a different race. And I think- But that's what they want. And we don't always, right, I don't run Twitter. You know, I'm, I'm so if Twitter, if, if Jack wins and Twitter gets 2X or 3X users, is that a problem for you? Do you use Twitter less? Not a problem. I think that, I think Jack would own that like the, how Twitter thinks about building community needs to grow, right? That like right now people join the platform and they like sort of have to find people who believe what they believe. And I think that Twitter can actually facilitate that process a little easier. Like how, like right now, if you wanted to follow everybody who was here at the conference, like there's no easy way to do that. Like there's no like geo code. Like I think that Twitter can make uh, what it means to be in community like an easier thing for people. So Jack, Snapchat, incredibly confusing, at least for old people like me. Um, by, it seems to be widely accepted by lots of people by one count. It's got more daily users than Twitter is. Is maybe the argument that there isn't a fundamental problem with ease of use of Twitter. It's that everyone has used Twitter. Everyone sort of knows what Twitter is. They either like it or they don't. And changing it fundamentally isn't going to increase its user base. Well, I mean, the, um, I don't know if Snapchat is confusing. And I think it's a... It's very confusing for me. I think, well, but I think it's very modern in terms of, like, it's... it's I'm very old. <laughs> it's, uh, it's recognizing that, you know, we're probably going to press buttons less and we're probably gesturing more. And uh, so given that we all have touchscreens, what can we do with them and what does the interface look like? When I say confusing about Twitter, I mean when you do something, something unexpected happens. And, uh, and I want to fix that um, to make sure that when you do something, you know exactly what's going to happen. And um, when you do something on Snapchat, more or less know exactly what's going to happen. Um, but finding out how to do that thing might be a little bit um, challenging for some. But I think it's... It's definitely where the experience is going, and, and um, I think we, uh, you know, we all need to recognize that as well. I, I, I don't find that uh, confusing, but the, the thing I do want to fix is make sure that when people see Twitter, they know exactly how to use it, and they know exactly what's going to happen when they use it. You were an angel investor in Instagram. Took off like a rocket. Twitter at one point tried to buy it. Is there a lesson you learned watching the ascent of that app that you can apply to Twitter? Um, well, I think it was a very different time. I think, um, you know, I've known Kevin for quite some time. Kevin actually worked as an intern at Odeo. Uh, and uh, we... Uh, it's the predecessor of Twitter. The predecessor of Twitter, podcasts. Uh, before podcasts were really, really, really a thing. Um, and uh, he, uh, you know, he was extremely smart but extremely passionate about photos. And he really built what around his, his passion. I think one of the benefits um, that uh, they had in that time was the ability to move faster with infrastructure. Um, I think Twitter for 10 years has been building its own infrastructure. You guys were famously plagued at the, the beginning yeah. many years with uptime problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was there. Like We were going down every single day uh, because of all the work that we had to do around infrastructure just to build the product layer on top of it that we wanted to. Um, so that allowed some velocity. Um, I think also they recognized uh, what we recognized in the early days of the power of constraint 
um, the power of uh, uh, a timeline, uh, the power of simplicity in the follow model. They took that and they utilized the newest technology, which were, now we have cameras. Twitter was created before the iPhone. Uh, Twitter was created before cameras were pervasive. It was an SMS service. It was SMS, um, and we moved heavily into the web, um, and I think stayed in the web a little bit too long and maybe defocused more than we should have on mobile, um, and, and, and then moved back. Um, so in that time, we saw you know, a huge rise of mobile and also uh, creating new media, including uh, uh, photography. And I think the, the insight Instagram had rightly was cameras are on phones. They take kind of sucky pictures right now, but we can add a button that makes them look great. Um, and then you, you pair that with uh, follow, you pair that with a timeline, you pair that with a constraint, and you, you have something really interesting. Um, Twitter-like. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and I think, um, I think that's, uh, there's, there's a lot to learn there. I, I think it's really around uh, how do we really increase our own velocity of development? What's blocking us from doing that? And are we applying the technology platforms of today uh, to really up-level what we are um, and what we're trying to do in terms of the use case? Let me, let me go back to politics for a second. Uh, big discussion in the last couple of weeks about Facebook and whether there's a conservative bias. And you heard Cheryl earlier and everyone from Facebook strenuously saying, look, there's no bias. We, we love everyone from every, every political stripe equally. Does a platform have to be neutral? Um, I, I think a platform is best when it carries every voice. Um, and you every carry every voice. voice, but you've got an opinion. You're wearing a Stay Woke shirt. You went out and protested in Ferguson. Yeah. Your politics, it seems like we could identify what some of your politics are. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm an individual as well. Um, I use a platform, and uh, I do believe we need to build a, a platform that respects and amplifies every voice uh, in a way that the, the world needs to hear it. Um, and I, I trust that, uh, you know, the world will amplify and retweet and have conversations where appropriate, and wherever that attention diverts uh, in real time is where, it's, is where it's needed. So I think a platform, in order to be a platform, has to be free uh, to every opinion and every voice. And I think we need to hear them all. I think we need to hear every extreme to find the balance. It's Dere, all about finding the balance. Dere, what do you make of the fact that the platform you love, that's important to your work, that's important to you personally, is also Donald Trump's platform, or one of his two main platforms? It is Donald's platform. Uh, I, I agree with Jack. I think that it, it is better when we are exposed to as many ideas as possible. Not that I want to always be in proximity to them, right? So I'm not retweeting much of what Donald says or The Blaze or Breitbart uh, or The National Review, you know, which none of those places like me. Uh, but it's important that they exist and like, I, that makes sense to me. Uh, and again, I think the question is like, how do we invite more people into the conversation? For us, again, protest was this idea of telling the truth in public. And it was important that people who otherwise would not have a platform to be heard, like were heard and like we got that. And that was really powerful. And I think that like the, the platform needs to continue to do that. I do think though that uh, has been, uh, like Jack said, I think Twitter has been a little slow around photos. You know, I think that uh, filters, like I think that there's a lot of work that can happen there. I think Periscope is interesting. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if we could do like a, if we could Periscope each other, like a FaceTime on Periscope, I think it would be like a dope thing to do. Jack DeRay has another product suggestion. For yeah, you. yeah. Think? I think that'd be great. <laughs> I know. I, I love it. We need to hire DeRay. Maybe I'll come Maybe work at Twitter we can make something day. work. Yeah. Um, 
so I write about business, a business question for you. There's really, to me, I think only one fundamental Twitter business question, which is how long are you giving yourself to turn the company around? Multiple CEOs, multiple executives. You came back an interim basis about a year ago, because a year ago Dick Costello was here. Uh, and then you came on, and you've been on full-time since last fall. So how much time do you need to show results? My focus right now is on velocity. My focus right now is on, on speed and making sure that we're shipping faster against these five priorities. That, that's what's in our control. So to me, the matter of time is really making sure that we make every single day matter and that we're actually working on something that is focused, that is really um, helping and serving the use cases that we know Twitter is strong at. And the number one is showing what's happening now that real-time, live, first nature, that breaking news aspect. I think people turn to Twitter first. And number two is around conversation and people finding conversation, finding community, um, finding topics that they're interested in, having them in public so we can all benefit from what those conversations those, those are. And, and that is the essence of the live nature of what we are. So it's, um, to me, what matters most and, and where I want to show the meaningful progress is how quickly we can ship against those, and how we can show that we provide daily utility to people, that they can pick it up every single day and actually get value out of it. So you can make small tweaks, you can make big tweaks. At some point, you're going to have a report card, right? You have quarterly report cards. At what point do you go, look, I told you this worked, or at what point do you go, eh, it didn't work, we gotta, we got to wave the white flag? We have a report card every single day. It's how many people are using our platform, how many people are valuing it, and that's what we're focused on. We need to make sure that we're building a tool that Duray wants to use every single day that's making him more powerful, that's giving him new learnings, and it's giving him an insight to the world that he could not see before. I hope someone in the audience will ask about Square, because we're out of time, and I want to make sure you guys ask. If not, I can lob one in, but let's hear from the audience first. It's not about Square, sorry. Uh, hey, Jack, hey, Duray. Um, Emily from Bloomberg. Uh, on this issue of being a, a free platform and welcoming of all kinds of speech, can you talk a little bit about how you're handling terrorism right now and how you're working with Washington or not um, regarding ISIS accounts? Yeah, we're, we're, being, um, uh, we're being very aggressive in, in shutting these, these accounts down. Um, uh, we've, we've made really meaningful progress uh, in, in the recent months um, around these accounts. I think we've shut down over 125,000 uh, recently. Um, and uh, we do have uh, the benefit of all this happening in public, so it's a little bit easier to see what's happening on the surface so that we have multiple people pointing to us where uh, this activity is happening. Uh, we certainly uh, get help um, from governments all over the world around pointing out these accounts and, uh, and where it's happening, and, and we act on them fast. So how do you decide internally where to draw the line between terrorism and something else? It's a, it's a pretty clear line, promotion of, of violence, um, and, uh, and particularly uh, around, um, it's pretty clear around terrorism acts uh, and people tweeting about that. So our team, uh, led, by, led by Vidya, RGC, uh, is constantly looking at this and having debates around uh, every account and, and the systems. Thank you. Question over here. So, Thank you, Jack and DeRay. I think very interesting conversation of balancing user interview and product roadmap and questions about the future of Twitter with a really powerful and potent political message that's very important. I'm Andrew. I'm with a credit card issuing startup, so Jack would love to talk to you after about Square, but not about a Square question right now. Uh, 
Duray, I come from Kansas City, Missouri, and I think this is a really important movement nationwide. So sort of two pieces of this, you have a really influential audience here. And so from an optimistic note, what is like one action that you would like this audience to take that would be really meaningful and impactful given the audience you have in front of you? And then the second question is sort of, what is your end game? Like what, what does success look like for you? Yeah, so I'll start with the second one. I think that in the movement, there are two things that come next. One is this question of coalitions. Can we build entrances to the movement for people who might not have the same goals but have the same outcomes? You think about the gun control people. We don't have the same goals, but we all want to live in a world where there are not mass shootings, right? Think about the environmentalists don't have the same goals, want to live in a world where there's not dirty water like in Flint, right? The second is around the inside-outside. Can we be as organized on the inside as we are on the outside? I think it's like a real question. Like an outside-only strategy, I don't think is a strategy to win. That like awareness was the beginning of the work, but that only matters if like things actually change, right? Uh, when I think about what this crowd can do, one is a, a real commitment to diversity, right? That like the rooms in which we make decisions need to look like the world uh, that we make decisions about. And like people here can start to do that work. Like there are people of color who, who are in the tech industry, there are people of color who are writers, like they, they, they exist. And it might mean that your recruitment has to look differently, but like you need to make that commitment. And I, I say that to, to Jack, I say that to everybody, I think that's real. The second is understanding that protest, again, is this idea of telling the truth in public. And most people know right and wrong people have opted out of what they consider the movement to be because they're like, I'm not gonna sit in the street and shut down the street, right? And what I tell them is like, if you know the governor, call the governor, skip the street, right? Like you can do that work on your own. Like there are many ways that you can push systems and structures to be better. And people often know that. Like you know how the world should be and like you can take those steps. You don't need to be invited. You don't need to tweet me. Like people can do that work already. Uh, and that I think is one of the most empowering messages of the movement space. Speaking of the governor, you ran for mayor of Baltimore. I did. Backing from some people in this room, including Reed Hastings, gave you money. Didn't do well, right? Yeah, came didn't win. Once, came, came in, what, sixth? Yeah. Uh, why'd you run? Yeah, because I think that, uh, again, the inside outside, like we have to be in positions of power and we have to push from the outside. And we did do some cool stuff. You know, like we raised, Bernie's fundraisers were mine. Uh, and we raised more money on Twitter than even Bernie can. Like there were some days that we'd average over $1,000 a tweet, things like that. Uh, which was really powerful. One of the only campaigns in the country, we had donations from all 50 states. Uh, it raised over $300,000 in 70 days, which is hard for local races. And most of it was small dollar donors. Jack and other people gave, but uh, again, the average donor size was $50. You're gonna so. run for something else again? Uh, maybe I'll go work at Twitter, I don't know. Or maybe work, maybe help Kara Swisher. Mary? Um, taking the prompt for a question about Square. Um, Mary sits on the Square you, board, by the way. Uh, you have built a really good management team, exceptional for the stage that the company is. Most people in the room are trying to build a management team. Could you tell us a little bit about how you did that? <laughs> a lot of help from our board, actually. No, that was, no. Um, Watch out. I'm, I will go through the five slides I didn't get to go through. So anyway. <laughs> but seriously, it's, it's, you, it's really exceptional. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, um, and I'm, I'm really proud of the, the team. Um, and... Uh, we, uh, you know, it, it's just uh, references. I mean, the, the, the main thing has been recommendations. Uh, you know, we had a recommendation for our CFO, uh, Sarah Fryer, and she had uh, a recommendation, and, you know, uh, Francoise had a recommendation. You, and you, you picked him. How did you pick the team and put it together? And I'll, I'm moving away from the mic. The, you know, the, the uh, you know, it's following up with a recommendation, having a conversation that the, the question that I think is most important is, is why square? Uh, and I want to see passion, because uh, that's the thing that can't be taught. It's either there for what we're doing and aligned with us, uh, aligned with our purpose, or it's not. 
Um, and if I see that and I really dig into what the person brings to the table, and more importantly, am I, is this someone that I would learn from? Is this someone that um, is better than me? Um, is this someone that would actually teach me uh, something new, teach me how to, how to continue to run the company in a better and better way? And when all those things are checked, we hire, and we've just been extremely fortunate uh, in the ability to do that. But I think it, it comes back to that question of just, why are you here, uh, and why would you want to join this company? Um, and then, uh, did I walk away from the conversation learning something new? You are CEO of two publicly traded companies. One needs a lot of help right now, Twitter. One seems to be in better shape. We just talked about the, 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 the bench strength at Square. Are you still spending your time equally between both companies? Yeah, yeah, I, I balance my time there, there across the street. Shouldn't you spend more time at Twitter? Uh, you know, I, I, it's, to me, it's just what you actually do with the time. And um, I think I have prioritized the conversations in a way that we're focused on the most meaningful things, the things that matter the most in the time that, that we have. And I want to make sure that we're building a company that we trust our people to make the right decisions. Uh, and my job there is the framework, what we're focused on, why we're focused on it, what our purpose is, and then the accountability of are we doing the right things? Um, and are they actually showing, showing the results? And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm focused on, on, uh, on growth of usage, and we showed that. In, our last earnings re report. So, um, yes, uh, I, I think uh, I think it's I think it's the right amount of time. They're going to kick us off stage. You got to explain what the shirt means. So this uh, this shirt uh, says "Stay woke," uh, and to me, uh, my interpretation of, of what it means, um, and this has evolved a little bit over over time, um, is really uh, being aware and staying aware and keep questioning. Uh, it's being awake uh, and eyes wide open around what's happening in the world. And, and we saw that in Ferguson. I, th I think the thing that I didn't really consider before I went there that I saw on the ground um, was what you see behind the camera uh, and on the television, sorry, what you see on the television screen versus what's actually happened behind the camera. Um, and it was just amazing uh, for me to see, especially at night, uh, the press uh, run around um, West Florissant uh, and how they were telling the stories and actually how uh, the protesters were having conversations with them about what stories they were telling and where the focus was and the focus inappropriately on the wrong things. Um, and to me, that's when I really first saw this phrase uh, in action was making sure that we're telling our story, we're telling what's on the ground and we saw it live through Twitter and, and through and through Vine. And everyone's got one of these in their bag, I think. Everyone's got one of these All in right. their bag. Gonna wear it tomorrow. DeRay, Jack, thank you. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Remember to leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay and be sure to check out our other podcasts. Every Monday, I host Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. On Thursdays, you can hear Recode Media, where Peter Kafka interviews the smartest and most interesting people in the media world. And on Friday, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge. You can find all these shows and more at recode.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.